Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway. The Daily Devotion is the time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of Scripture and theology. Yesterday was Sermon Sunday, and I forgot to post the sermon, so I'm going to make two posts today, one of the sermon yesterday and another of the normal daily post for today. So here's yesterday's sermon on Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogues, Jairus by name, and seeing Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. For she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this, and told them to give her something to eat. Most gracious Father, as we look once again at your word, I ask that you would strengthen us, that we might hear your word, that we might see the Christ who is proclaimed and believe in him. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen.
We come to this story and, and I'm, I'm dealing with this whole section because though it seems like we've talked about these Markin sandwiches where he interrupts one idea with another and then comes back to the original idea, it seems just like that, right? It's kind of this inception story of miracles within miracles. But this isn't unique to Mark. This story is told just like this in all the Gospels that we find it. So this probably isn't a literary strategy of Mark. This is probably just a record of how it went down. This guy came and asked Jesus for something, and on the way, another lady came and asked Jesus for something, and then they continued to the man's house. And as we look at this story, we see something incredible. We see here that Jesus uses his authority over uncleanness and death to care for the desperate who come to him in faith. That's the point of this story. Jesus uses his authority over uncleanness and death to care for the desperate who come to him in faith. So those will be our points. First, Jesus uses his authority over uncleanness and death. Sometimes we read this story, these two stories that are combined here, and, and we read them and say, ah, oh, this story shows us that Jesus has authority over uncleanness and death. And indeed, it does show us that. Because he stops this flow of blood and he heals this girl. He revives her. He brings her back to life. But here's the thing. We've already seen that multiple times in the book of Mark at this point. We've already seen Jesus has been shown repeatedly that he has authority over life and death, that he has authority over disease, that he has authority over even the demons and the storms. Jesus has already been shown abundantly to be the one who can and does heal, who can and does step in and save his people. From imminent death. What we see here is this kind of different picture. It's still Jesus healing just like in all of the stories, but there, there's, there's details and the story unfolds in a way that things haven't before. And it gives us this glimpse of these kind of moments in ministry and, and kind of a, a little bit realer picture of what it would have been like to be with Jesus as he walked along and ministered to people. And what we find is that he uses the authority, the power that he has over uncleanness and death. And, and the reason I put it that way is because sometimes when we read these miracles, we read them and we're like, oh, that shows that Jesus has authority. And it does, but we forget that Jesus was, was doing these things purposefully. That he was caring for people purposefully. That he was using what he had available to him for people on purpose. That his goal was to care for the broken. This is why we opened the service with the song, All the Poor and Powerless. 
this song that, that so graciously calls people like you and I who know good and well that no matter how we dress up for Sunday, we really are poor and powerless and have no right apart from Jesus to come before the holy God of all creation. And that's what we see happening here. That Jesus uses the authority that he has to care for the people around him. And that yes, as we've seen, this authority is over uncleanness and even death. Just as it is over the demons, just as his authority is over creation, just as it is over every disease that he has come in contact with. This is why Paul can so confidently write in Romans 8 at the end of that wonderful chapter that nothing, not height, nor depth, nor principality, nor power, nor famine, nor nakedness, nor danger, nor sword, that none of this can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has authority over those things and uses his authority to deliver his people from those things. That's why they can't separate us from Christ. Because he is able to combat them and willingly does combat them. Jesus uses his authority over uncleanness and death. We we look at these two situations. There's this girl at the beginning of the story who is close to dying, and by the time it all unfolds, already has died. And he comes and gives her life again. Jesus is the one who can show up when the mourners have already gathered because this girl is dead and wake her as if she was only sleeping. Because he can give life to the dead. But here's what's interesting. Had we read those passages in Leviticus and 19, in Numbers 19, we would have seen that for Jesus to do this, for him to come in and take this girl by the hand, would have been for him to make himself ceremonially unclean. In Leviticus 15, we have this declaration about women with flows of blood and how they're unclean and anything they touch is unclean. And here is this woman who for 12 years has suffered. Unable together with the saints. Really, if she was being mindful of law, shouldn't have been in this situation at all. Because it says that there was this crowd thronging around Jesus. All these people. The disciples were like, what do you mean? Of course somebody touched you, Jesus. Look at all the people. And everyone that she touched, biblically speaking, would have been unclean. But she comes to Jesus. And she reaches out and touches his garments. And is healed. Immediately. Again. In this. Jesus would have been made unclean himself for her healing. 
We've seen this before and we've talked about this before that that we have this picture of the gospel that is so astoundingly beautiful that the perfectly clean one became unclean so that the unclean ones like you and I could be made clean. It's just the gospel played out in these very real circumstances. And it's wonderful. Because Jesus uses his authority over those things for us. This is why we read in Romans earlier, while we were sinners, while we were sinners, God sent his son to die. Not not because we had figured some things out and we were on the right path after long last. No, no, no. At the right time, when we were sinners. See, this is the very thing that Christ came to do, to use his authority to care for the desperate. We see this in Matthew 11, where where we we go and, and we read these incredible stories, this incredible statement where, where he calls out, come to me, All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, that's what Jesus does. He comes to you and I labored by this life, burdened by our sin and the effects of of sin around us. And says, here, let me take that. Give me your burden. In Mark chapter 2, we see an even bolder statement in verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, Jesus said, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. How easily we forget that the very reason that Jesus came was to care for the desperate, to care for the poor and the powerless, to care for those who rightly sing, give me Christ or else I die because we have nothing to offer. We have nothing to put on the table. We can put our fancy clothes on, but he just knows better. We easily fool each other, but he knows the desperation that we live with. It's why he came. This man, and and some of y'all know this pain. He was on the verge of having to bury his child. That's not not how it's supposed to work. The order of operations is all wrong there. Parents aren't supposed to bury their children. And he comes to Jesus this leader of the synagogue, 
Which, which means, by the way, that he would have been one of the most powerful, important, respected people in his community. And he falls down at Jesus' feet. Can you help me? That little girl's about to die. As a parent, it, it just doesn't get a whole lot more desperate than that. And he's like, yeah, I'm on my way. Let's go. But then on his way, this other lady shows up. And she's the complete opposite. If, if Jairus was kind of the leader of his community that, that everybody would have looked to and respected and held in esteem, this lady, the opposite of all of that. First of all, it's the first century. She was a lady that already is not the best situation. On top of that, she was unclean and had been for 12 years. She couldn't go gather with the people to worship. She couldn't hug her husband if he was even still around or if she had ever had one in the first place. She couldn't touch anyone. I mean, as, as, well, in, as, as well intentioned as we might be, and this is the, the struggle that we have right now is, is we have church members who, for, for good reason, can't be here with us. It's only been a few months. But we already are faced with, oh, wow, it's so easy to forget about these people. She had been effectively gone from the body for 12 years we can safely assume because it was people that made up the people around her that she had probably largely just been forgotten by this point. She, she was an outsider from the community in every way. And on top of that, she had, she had tried to address the problem. She had gone to the doctors and it says that she had spent everything she had and it just got worse. Some of y'all have been there where there's a health issue and you've just put hundreds and thousands of dollars on the table and it's gotten you nowhere. And you feel like, there's, is there any hope of this ending? I'm doing everything and it's getting worse. I mean, it's just this absolute picture of desperation. And so what she decides is this Jesus guy, if I can find him, I can't let him know I'm coming because I'm unclean. So I'll sneak up. If I can just touch his robe. Maybe then I'll be healed. And so that's what she does. She comes up behind him in this crowd and touches his garment. And it says she's healed. And Jesus stops and wants to know who touched him. And the disciples think this is ridiculous. But he knows someone has come in faith 
in all their desperation, they have come to him believing that he can heal them. And he wants to care for them. He doesn't turn and want to know who it is so that he can rebuke them. He wants to care for this woman in her desperation. And he speaks to her with these tender words as, as she realizes like, oh man, if he knew that I touched him in this, like if he knew something happened, like I'm caught, right? The, the jig is up. And so she falls in fear before him and, and just like, this is what was going on, right? And, and, and think about that situation. She, it, says, it says that she tells him the whole truth. Right, so she just declared, I have willingly made you and a whole lot of other people ceremonially unclean. Not not the most comfortable position to be in. I mean, I I, I dread that that, that if, if I get COVID, I'm not scared of getting COVID. Here's what I'm scared of. I'm scared of having to call people and be like, hey, didn't know I had it. And I was at this thing. And so now all of y'all, sorry, enjoy your two weeks. Like that's the part, like I'll get sick, whatever, cool. It's that part. And this woman had to do that, but with a bunch of religious zealots. I've made y'all all unclean. If, if Jesus had just laid in, no one would have batted an eye at this point. She had crossed major lines. But she gets nothing but tenderness. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Doesn't even bat an eye about the uncleanness. Isn't sweating that at all. Just tender, just caring for this woman in her desperation. And while all this is going down, people show up from Jairus' house and say, Hey, she's dead. Your daughter is dead. Don't, don't bother Jesus anymore. Jesus hears what they're saying to Jairus. He looks at him and says, don't fear, only believe. It's going to be okay, Jairus. I'm here. I said I would come. I said I would fix it. This doesn't change that. And he goes with Peter and James and John. And they go to the ruler of the synagogue's house. And, and Jesus sees this commotion. It was, it was not uncommon. In fact, the norm, especially for someone of this power, would have been to, to the, the normal practice, and I don't get this, but it's what they did. They would have paid people to come and mourn. Like there, there were people that that was their job. They were professional mourners. And so Jesus shows up, and, and they're all there, weeping and, and wailing And he says, she's only sleeping. 
I'm going to get her up. Now, it wasn't that they like didn't understand dead, right? It wasn't like that's not what's going on here. What Jesus is saying is here is I treat death like sleep. I get people up from it. He's not denying that she was actually dead. And they laugh at him. They, they don't get what he's saying. And so he tells him to leave. And he goes in with the parents and the disciples. And he takes her by the hand. And again, tenderness. Little girl. I say to you, arise. And she did. He cared for the desperate that came to him in faith. He used his authority over death and uncleanness to care for this guy because his daughter had died. But then he cares for the little girl. She gets up and Jesus says, feed her. Give her something to eat. And just everywhere we look in this story, we see Jesus caring about people in desperate situations, making sure that they have what they need from him and from anybody else around him that he can get to provide what they need. That's what he does. That's what he uses, his authority, his power. That's what he uses it for to care for the desperate who come to him in faith. And they come to him in faith. And this isn't like the, the, the trash that the prosperity gospel preachers, it's not the stuff that they're passing out, where they turn faith into a work. And if you, if you didn't get healed, it's because you didn't believe enough. No, that, that's not what's going on here. That's not what's going on here at all. Jesus isn't looking to see if they have enough faith. He's just recognizing that they came. It, it may have been a must. I mean, look, Jairus wasn't exactly this pillar of faith, right? He was ready to leave. His people had came and they're like, hey, she's dead. Don't bother him anymore. And apparently Jairus is ready to leave because Jesus turns to him and is like, no, no, Jairus, keep, keep believing. It's okay. I'm going to do the thing. I've got, I'm, I'm helping you. Just trust me. He wasn't saying, trust me and I will do it. He was saying, I'm, I'm doing it. Your daughter is going to be better. Trust me. That's a really important difference. See, when we get that backwards, when it's trust me and I'll do it, that's just turning faith into a work. It may as well be keep the law perfectly and I'll do it. But that's not gospel. Gospel is I'm going to do it. Trust me. I'm going to save my people. Believe me. It's a subtle difference. 
but it's a difference between law and gospel. It's a difference between us actually living and us finding that we come up short because we didn't trust just right. Jesus is saying, no, I'm going to do it. You just keep believing that. He uses his authority over uncleanness and death to care for the desperate who come to him in faith. And then he says, no one should know about this. And we've, we've come up against this a few times, and, and it's fun reading commentators, and, I mean, and, and I've been struggling with this, but, but something finally clicked for me here. What's going on? And this is why we read Isaiah 42. I'm going to go back to it now. And I'm going I'm to read these words again, and I want you to listen for what is said there. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He's coming to care for the poor and the powerless. He's coming to care for the desperate. Not to make a big show of himself. See, what what Jesus is doing here, and and it says this in other places when it quotes this part, when it says that he tells anybody, don't say anything. It says this was to fulfill Isaiah 42. It doesn't use the verse reference like that. They didn't have them, but that's the point. This was to fulfill what the prophet wrote when he said, he's not going to cry aloud in the street, a bruised reed he won't break. See, that was part of the thing. That was was part part of the ministry is that he wasn't here to make a name for himself. He wasn't here to make a big deal about himself. He was was the son of God. He didn't need to make a name. He had a name. He didn't need to, to get people to be impressed with him. He came to care for the desperate. Not to make a name for himself. Now, Clearly, he did both because we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. But the point of this, hey, nobody needs to know about this. The point of when Jesus is saying all of that is that this, this isn't about me making a name for myself. This isn't about me like being big time and you know, blowing up. This is about me caring for desperate people who come to me in faith. So here's what this means for you. You get to be completely free to be completely desperate. To to be absolutely poor and powerless like you are. To be broken in all the ways that you are. And you get to go to Jesus in faith and he's going to care for you in your desperation in your brokenness, in your poverty, in your powerlessness, in your sinfulness. Because that's what he came to do. 
See, we, we don't have to show up. We don't have to show up like these people. Again, it's fine if you do. I put on my coat and tie. It, 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 if you want to, great. But don't go thinking for a second. You have to. Show up desperate. Show up faithfully desperate. And Jesus will care for you. That's why he came. That's that's what he's called us to. And here's what else it means for us. It means that that if we want to care for people the way Jesus did, then that's what we do. We care for people that are desperate. We don't do it to make a name for ourselves. We, we, we just do it quietly to care for them because Jesus cared for us. And it doesn't get us any standing with him to do that. He, he's, we've already got that. He's already come and, and cared for us in our desperation. And now we get to do the same just because. Jesus uses his authority over uncleanness and death to care for desperate people who come to him in faith. Run to him, faithfully desperate, and be cared for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this astounding picture of our Savior. For this reminder that the whole reason he came was to love and care for desperate people. What comfort we find there. What joy we find there. Because we have a shot now. And it's a shot that won't miss. So Father, by your spirit, work faith in us. That we might come in all of our desperation to Jesus Christ that he might care for us too. In Christ's name we pray, amen.